Welcome to Guild Wars, a podcast dedicated to unearthing the deep lore of Guild Wars and Guild Wars 2. I am Joe Neustel, and between myself and my co-host Tony, we have over 20 years of experience with the Guild Wars franchise and still manage to know very little. So, without further ado, here he is, Tyria's sweetheart, Melandru's dirty boy, here to help the Emperor get his groove back, <laughs> Tony Melchor. Tony, it is so good to see you again, my friend. It's been a bit. It has been a good long time. It's been a bit. Yeah. We have been on a bit of a hiatus over here mm -hmm. due to holidays, due to a never-ending stream of COVID exposures, yeah. it would seem. Bobbing and weaving. Bobbing and weaving. Bobbing and weaving. Best we can. Tony and I love to share, <laughs> but we don't want to share that. Uh, yeah. No, sir. <laughs> Not for the Brovids. But that all being said, we are back. Yep. We are back, and we have some good stuff coming down the line. Let's see. We are going to be launching a new podcast sometime in the very near future. Mm -hmm. So we have that to look forward to. We haven't just been doing nothing. Well, kind of we have, but not all the way. Uh, more on that in a while, but even more exciting than that new podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Next month, we will be experiencing the launch of a new Guild Wars campaign. <laughs> campaign? Expansion. expansion. Campaign expansion? We'll be experiencing the launch of a new Guild Wars expansion, End of Dragons. So excited. That being said, this episode right here, right now, begins our series with the witcher <laughs> just kidding <laughs> begins our series of rivia we all must know about rivia mm -hmm. <laughs> the richard the richard god. oh god that's what my son thinks the witcher's name is the oh, richard the cutest freaking thing oh yeah but we're gonna be talking about cantha mm -hmm. we're gonna go in depth we talked a little bit we talked a little bit in our humans episode, we we talked a little bit in the Tangu episode, so a little bit here and there, but we've deliberately stayed away from Cantha just for this moment, mm -hmm. just so we can help you acclimate to the new environment for the new players and maybe reacclimate yourself if it's been a while since you've been there for all of you Guild Wars 1 players out there. Yep. We both recently played through factions, did we not? Yeah, um, probably six months ago or so. Uh, maybe a little, give or take, give or take, maybe a little longer. But yeah, we played through it. Played through it. It's more or less fresh in the mind. I mean, it came out what thirteen years ago, two thousand seven. We've had this conversation before, I believe. Man. One was like in two thousand five. I guess that would be fifteen years ago. Oh my god, what year is it right now? Twenty <clears> two. <throat> It's 2040? <laughs> oh. Uh, right. It's been a while. It's been a long time. I don't remember. It sounds about right. I think two years after mm -hmm. Guild Wars 1. I think prophecies. So. I think it was right on the spot. A year. Um, hmm. And Prof came out in 2006. Okay. Yeah. Since we've been away for a while, we're going to kind of get our, our bearings back on this whole podcasting adventure. <laughs> 
So this one's going to be a little less specific. So I, hopefully we'll give you a little bit of shape to the world. We're going to flesh out Cantha, give a little detail. We're going to talk a little bit about the different areas. We're going to talk a little bit about time and how it moves a little differently in Cantha. Oh. But yeah, like I said, humans part one, Tengu, if you want to hear a little bit if this just isn't enough for you, you haven't listened to him, go check him out if you want. Mm-hmm. But that's enough posturing for us now. Let's get into it. Tony, are you ready? I'm ready. Very, very ready. So I'm going to start out. I have a question for you. Sure. Bring it. It's an easy one. It's going to help you shake the rust off. Oh, no. So we, we know that there's an ocean that separates mainland Tyria and Cantha, right? Yep. So... Just how far is it from the mainland to the island nation of Cantha? Oh, crap. I don't remember. I think it was like a month to travel through. So I don't know exactly how in physical miles, give or take, but I think it was a month by boat for the traders. So the best I could come up with is in an old Guild Wars 1 lore exposition. Sure. Um, in they quoted a few hundred miles, so a few, that's three, right? couple, Give two, a few, three, four, score, five, no, three. I think of three, three as few, three, yeah. 300. When they say, when people say few, I think three. And then maybe sometimes it depends, add four. So three to five, give or take, be on the five. safe side. So a few hundred miles. Yeah, only a few hundred miles. Okay. That's not Which, that bad. to put into perspective here is less than the distance from San Francisco to Los Angeles. It won't take a month for that. Well, I mean by boat, I'm not exactly sure how fast Tyrian boats traveled back in the day. Now we have airships, and I don't know how fast they travel either. <laughs> <laughs> and a Surin Gates. A Surin Gates. Well, pay a uh, couple silver. And then get there real quick. Yeah. I wonder if there are waypoints in camp that we can just teleport to a friend. <laughs> hey, I got a friend over there. I got a friend over there. Okay. Well, I didn't think it was that short. Yeah, neither did I. I mean, if you look at the map, it looks pretty far, right? It looks pretty far, but, you know, I'm not exactly sure how space and distance work in Tyria. Yeah, everyone has their own scaling. Every time you break it down into like footsteps and stuff like i've tried to figure out how many miles of the world and it just doesn't work out you can't think about it too hard yeah yeah but in lore it makes a huge impact it seems like a trivial amount of space right yeah a few hundred miles it's like well you know whatever a few hundred miles easy peasy for for modern modern standards but yeah it makes a huge impact on the societal structure and customs and i say that about the society of cantha their structure customs with the caveat that we don't really know the details of what cantha's looking like and how it's functioning these days right in a world post jade tech and whatever has happened there yeah jade tech mainly and and i mean like the thawing of the jade sea i mean we've seen some things from the developers we've seen like a little bit of how it's looking it's a little like technopunk yeah 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 and it's cool um, but we don't really know how it functions. So that's my caveat right there. Roast me if you if you feel like you must. 
But yeah, I feel pretty safe in assuming still that mainland Tyria and Cantha are as different today as they were 250 years ago. Makes sense. I mean, even then, even now, they still secluded themselves. So. This ends soon. Mm-hmm. The borders do, are open. Do you think that they're going to delay End of Dragons, Tony? I... They already have. They already have. I don't think so, but if they do, that's fine with me. I just wanted to come out finished. I'd rather it be good than soon. Yeah. I agree with you completely. Um... I mean, that'd be kind of a bummer, but like I said, I'd rather have a finished game than not. No problem here. Yeah. Back to uh, the differences between mainland Tyria and Cantha. One, you might notice, is that time moves differently in Cantha. Not literally. But in contrast to the Movalian calendar, named after the first priest of Duena, uh, that we've been dealing with, B-E-A-E... You remember what those stand for? Before Exodus and then after Exodus. Good job, Tony. And then Bonus points. There was another one, right? I don't remember what it was. A different calendar? No, no, no. Well, there was, an, I think there was a third. No, just B-E-A-E and then the year zero A-E, which is confusing. Fair. <laughs> Should just be E. E. <laughs> um, the Canton calendar is structured on the lunar cycle, which counts upward... From the year zero CC. CC standing for? Crowd control. Crowd control. Canton calendar. Yeah, the first stun ever recorded <laughs> in Cantha. That's where you, sca- that's where you start. <laughs> they spawned. They spawned and immediately were thunderclapped. Oof. So Tyrians hadn't constructed a system for telling time until after the exodus. So in Canton terms, the year zero... Or zero AE, or just the year E. <laughs> the year E is technically five hundred and ten CC. Five hundred and ten CC. Okay. I think that uh, I think that this illustrates some the the somewhat haughty stance in which Cantha takes when viewing the rest of human civilization. It's just irrefutably older, more established, and more developed in some cases. And just really doing their own thing. Yeah, I mean, like, they're 500 years more established than, like, if they've been telling time since they arrived. It just shows that they've been structured for longer. And that might give them a sense of superiority or a sense of originality, you know, an original claim to the land of Tyria. And it... They have, like, a very cocky, almost, stance here. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe, like, a little bit more direction for the nations going. Yeah, several times they've closed their borders and had, like, a real Canton first nationalist movement. (laughs) So, like, I see that kind of just being part of why they kind of think like that. Okay. And that's not to say that things are perfect there, you know? I mean... Being further along on a timeline of development doesn't mean that you don't have problems. Yeah, yeah. It just means you have different problems. Mm -hmm. Overpopulation, famine, and crime, among other things, are some that we'll be talking about in the upcoming episodes. Cool. Another side point about time that I found kind of interesting uh, is the difference between, well how they kind of break their years down. 
the Mavalian calendar counts four 90-day seasons. Four 90-day seasons. Yeah, and the can- the Canthan calendar has 12 months, both of which partially reflect our real-world methods of charting time, but neither one of them is wholly, like, both put together. Okay. Kind of cool. Interesting. Something I did not know. Thought I'd share it. Yeah, neat. Scale of 1 to 10, Tony. How interesting is that tidbit? I mean, that's pretty cool. Nice. They have cool seasons. <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, they, they have seasons. That's not really something you think about. And it's like mapped out. So that's cool. That's, that's cool. Makes it more in depth. They also have eras or ages. I don't know. We're going to be getting into that and categorizing it. Like lunar ages. Um, it's all about the celestial bodies yeah i'll read a little bit more about that and bring that back to the table probably next week okay so yeah now we know how their calendar works but what about the topography and what what's the land actually like so if you played through guild wars one uh well factions at least Mm -hmm. you you'll already be keen to the landscapes uh but it's worth saying that there are basically four major biomes locales or areas however you'd like to classify it. In brief, starting from west to east, there's an island which sits just to the west of the mainland. Mm. It's known as... Xingjia Monastery. Or mm-hmm. just Xingjia now? Xingjia? Xingjia? Jia? Xingjia is what Jia. I call it. That's kind of what it was the standard going name. Is it? Have they pronounced it differently these days? I don't know. I normally do sometimes. <laughs> Well, you just call it whatever you want. I'm not here to bother you about that. Fair enough. So the um, Xingjie Monastery. Yeah, Xingjie. Still a monastery, right? Um. Well, there's a monastery on Xingjie Island. An island. I there's see. other things too. Small villages, Tengu villages, mm-hmm. which may or may not still be there. I don't know. The lore kind of conflicts about that. Um. But we're not really talking about that now. So we'll talk about that in the past in sure. our Tengu episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and this island is where the Tengu Wars happened, which, yeah, at least for the most part, it was also home to some interesting landmarks that harken back to the ways of ancient Cantha, namely the monastery. So help me. Let's take a trip. Help me recall the beauty of Xingjie. What, do you, what, what can you find there? You're going, be my travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of, like, uh, mountain passes. Uh, there was one little mountain you hit snow in. Rivers weren't as prominent then. I think there were some, but I'm sure with all the boats and stuff now, it sounds like they're pretty prominent now. And with the Jade Sea thawing, there's probably more water there. Sort of hilly area, I think, is what I remember. Not really any flatlands. Yeah, you have essentially the mountain peaks leading into the foothills Mm. that are spotted with essentially like cherry blossom equivalent beautifully colored trees leading down into the actual like harbor area yeah along the coast there were some farmlands i guess there were some farmlands far to the west near the airy which was the tengu area logistically you need those to farm to feed your people yeah so yeah But generally, it's tiered from the snowy mountain peaks to the hills to the actual beach line. Mm -hmm. 
and it's beautiful. Can't wait to go back. Second, across a narrow strait, sprawling, the just massively sprawling across the entire northwest of the island nation, is Caning City. Mm. It's a massive stretch of dense buildings that, to be frank, <laughs> could have used. <laughs> Some stricter permitting processes. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a fantastic extrapolation of the term urban jungle. Mm. And I've heard people saying that like they hope it's similar to Tangled Depths. It's confusing. Like in Guild Wars 1, it was confusing. Oh, now? Yeah. Oh, maybe. So urban jungle really kind of you know sticks out a little bit. But this place is wild in its own right. Yeah, for a city. they did have some like underground tunnels and shit, so. I mean, and it just goes up to forever. And yeah, it's very vertical and extremely wide. Lots of little nooks and crannies. I think it's going to be a really fun place to explore on our mounts. I wonder I think if you have be... the mantid farming still. Is mantids? Hmm. Mantids? Or you go farm celestials? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't remember. Been a while. My trips into Guild Wars 1 have not been much of a farming excursion. Every now and again, I just go into... I forget what place it is, but it's in, in the canning area. And I just go take my my uh, assassin. Assassin monk, I think. Or no, it's assassin ranger and take whirling stance. Every now and again, I'll dip back into the storylines. But I'm not going to sit there and farm or grind or anything like that. I don't it's know just... why. I just get a random itch to do it. Every now and again, it'll be like two months have passed. And like, I'm going to log into Guild Wars 1. I'm going to farm for like 10 minutes. And call it good. That's pretty. That's That's cool. <laughs> there might be yeah. some raptors that don't need to exist anymore. <sighs> raptors. Go take out Rikoff, Broodmother. Half the time I always died. Ooh. Yeah, looks like a fun area. Yeah, and I wanted to bring up that many parts of this place really depict wealth inequality. It's something that's been brewing in Caning City, and you can just sort of see it in a contrast between the, the dirty slums, the sewer areas that are just gigantic, like massive, yeah. but very dangerous or sketchy, and then the Raisu Palace, which is just extravagantly, you know, yeah. well-built and maintained. No, now that you mention that, yeah, never really thought about it like that or or really paid too much attention to that. Yeah, and I, I, I bring this up um, because I think it's something that's going to be recurrent as we learn a little bit more about the Imperial Empire. I could see that. But yeah, is there anything that I might have missed about Caning uh, City that you want to bring up? Docks. Docks are there. Uh, from what I remember, that's where most of the boats landed um, mm -hmm. into Cantha. Um, other than that, I don't I think that's pretty much it for the most part from what we were exposed to in Guild Wars 1. Yeah, some cliffy areas, but on, on the... On the shoreline, not really any like beach, just cliff. Yeah, just straight cliff. That might Chaining? pose importance to the dock. I mean, it might as things erode, but 
250 years is it enough to change a coastline i don't know who knows what's happened over with, there with the thawing they have a dragon yeah who knows what's happened who knows yeah i think that's it for the most part south of kining lies the Ekavald forest any pronunciation disputes there tony no i think the Ekavald. Ekavald. you mean echovald yes <laughs> the Ekavald. Ekavald forest it was uh it was, and again will be, a landscape characterized by trees. Mm-hmm. Ancient giants standing tall and creating a canopy so dense that even in the midday sun, light on the forest floor is scant. Mm-hmm. And I never really put it all together, but <laughs> is that why all of the Kurziks from uh, Guilt Wars 1 are so pale? That would make sense, because there's no sunlight, it makes sense now. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was just like a weird kind of like goth note they kind of put in there. Like I don't, I don't know. Yo, nice, nice internet. I thought it was just an aesthetic Subtle. thing, but it kind of makes sense when you think hard. No sunlight. I mean, yeah, you're more pale. It's really funny. But yeah, as stated, it's home to the Kurziks, which are a highly ritualistic faction who once lived as the prime wardens of the ancient forest and now uh, try to preserve or conserve uh, most of what is left. And they were associated with the color blue. So anything else about that? You want to talk about how everything turned to stone? Do you want to talk about the jade wind? Everything's coming back now, too, I think, right? The, I didn't spend too much the... time in the Echovald. I think at that point, I just blew through the campaign so fast. There was, um, crap, I don't remember too much of the landscape. It just, I remember just a bunch of rocks, like rocks and dirt. Like, there was forest surrounding, but there was a ton of, like, rock paths. Um, I guess stumps, too, but yeah. Not too many trees. I guess you were going through the forest, but there, I don't know, a bunch of open area, kind of. Yeah, I mean, like, the trees are giant. It's almost like the redwood forests. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were all turned to stone by Shiro Tagachi. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. I think we've already talked about it. We'll talk about it again a little more in depth when we talk about the emperors of Cantha. At the point where the Ekvald forest ends to the east, however, lies the Jade Sea. The sea was once traveled by a nomadic ship-faring people known as the Luxons. The state that we catch the Jade Sea in Guild Wars 1 is anything but fluid, however. Mm-hmm. No boats floating on that bad boy. None. Not a boat. Because the same event, the same catastrophic event, which turned the trees of the Akabal to stone, turned the Jade Sea into literal jade. So the Luxons broke down their boats... And whichever ones weren't stuck in the jade <laughs> and formed them into another means to traverse the now solid, literally jade sea. And basically, yeah, they drag their livelihood around on the back of giant turtles, create caravans and traverse life on the jade sea is fraught with peril. It's a uh, desolate to say the very least. Yeah. And just plain areas where water should have been just not really beach, but, Sort of. I remember the Naga. Mm-hmm. Naga there, too. 
The only thing that really matches the desolation of the Jade Sea is its beauty. It's a very pretty landscape. Mm -hmm. Frozen waves, solid. Yeah. Like, just cresting. And being able (laughs) to adventure that is quite cool. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what it looks like now. Let's speculate some more. What if it's just thawing from the top down? So, like, it's just water for, like, six inches. (laughs) And then the rest is jade, so it's just a giant puddle. Oh, no. And you're, like, running, ready to jump in, and you just hit immediately on your tailbone when you go to cannonball. You're just boot boot deep in water the whole time. Oh, no. The waves just drip on you now a little bit every (laughs) once in a while. Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be crazy. There are a few minor areas that are worth mentioning. Betwixt the sprawling cityscape of Kaining and the dark forest floors of Echevald is the breadbasket of Cantha. It's an area untouched by both the Jade Wind's stone grip on Echevald and the development of the behemoth city of Kainang. It's a very important area. And without it to sustain the people of Kainang, Canton civilization circa 1200 AE would not be possible. There's already overpopulation, shortage of food, and without this, essentially the empire's structure would collapse. The backbone here? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There's not really a whole lot that goes on here in the factions campaign either. It's kind of, it kind of goes uh, unnoticed, but... It is still important, nonetheless, from a really, like, a world-building aspect. Okay. So, props to whoever snuck that in there and was like, hey, guys, we need a farm somewhere. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Can't all be fantasy. This is real-life fantasy. This is real-life fantasy. This is is real-life. Well, we're going to get our food. We're not just going to magic it happen. (laughs) You think these people can just conjure food? No, that's dumb. Fireballs? Anytime. Anytime. A sandwich? A golem? It's cool. It's cool. Now we have so many chefs. (laughs) Chefing is 500. We can feed everybody. We're going to be fishing. We will feed you from the sea. We will feed you from the sea. Nice. Level 550 chef is going to just make cans of tuna. Handcock, sashimi, dolphin safe, <laughs> sashimi. I'm surprised there's not a dish like that already, but I guess we didn't have fish. Yeah. Now we'll make a beautiful plate of sashimi. There For those go. of you who didn't know, Tony and I, I guess Tony still does. Um, we were both sushi chefs. Yeah, I am a fish. Oh, we are. Oh, oh. we are sworn enemies. Oh, oh no. Oh, I'm outed, guys. Bring Crap. me my knives. Oh no, I'm gonna get filleted. But yeah, we were both sushi chefs for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So let's catch some fish and chef it up. I haven't done any chefing, actually. In Guild Wars? No. I just buy my food on the trading post. I got 400 out like three weeks after launch, and I don't know. Never used it ever again. I uh, just use my money for everything else right now. The legendaries. I need to just pump it up to 500 just to just for me. But at the sh- back to well, whatever the hell we were talking about. Are we doing a podcast right now or what? We're just chatting. Oh. <laughs> we're just chatting. So the shores of the Jade Sea 
which meet the Ekavald forest, are a highly contested area. The Luxons and the Kurzik each lay claim to this area and struggle for their uncertain survival. Uh, they struggle against each other to control some of the largest jade extraction projects in the Jade Sea. So, a stone forest, a jade sea, there's not a lot of food to go around, so they have to fight for this jade in the quarry. There's one small quarry in an entire fucking sea made of jade <laughs> for a scarce amount of jade. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Go build a bigger quarry somewhere else. It's a huge sea. Yeah. Right? But they still fight over it, at least the JQ. circa Guild Wars 1 factions. So it's a pivotal part of society in both Kurzik and Luxon life. Sometimes you control it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't get the vendors. Sometimes you don't get the vendors. There's a small stretch of foothills to the north of the Jade Sea, which is home to two outposts and a lot of Oni. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that area. It's a little frustrating if you're undergeared. First trip through can be a bitch. But it's home to, to two outposts. One is by Pasu Reach. Mm-hmm. This is an 800-year-old town, which Damn. lives on in its current iteration as a vacation destination for the wealthy and the nobility. Which, another point for wealth inequality. Okay. Damn. They're just like, fuck it, we got a vacation house out here in Bypassu, uh, whatever. <laughs> Bypassu Reach. The summer house. Yeah, I wanted to bring that one up again because I think wealth inequality is going to be the story here and I want to see how that carries on. Yeah. In today's Cantha. Not far up the road is Eridon Terrace. Shout out to a Worldview World server. Mm-hmm. So Eridon Terrace is it's a it's a Luxon outpost, and it's home to the Eridon Jade Smasher, and that's just a large machine machine which is used to process jade. Which is really funny because I was on Jade Quarry before I switched to Eridon <laughs> Terrace. <laughs> There's a reason I switched. And yeah, that that just gives a little better shape to like how they process it. <laughs> it's just a giant jade smasher just breaks it down. It's breaks it down smaller chunks that they can drag across the jade sea and sell. That's what life was like on the jade sea. They were just needing that jade. Jade farmers. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Kurziks and the Luxons and the the empire. There's a lot of stuff to talk about in the empire coming up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A pretty decent history of of notable emperors, things like that. But I think this is where we're going to leave off for the day. Not much of a story, really. Just, a, just giving you a little filler for what's coming up. Yeah. Right now, we're all primed and ready to jump into the entire story of Cantha from the early pre-imperial era right up through the story of Guild Wars factions and beyond to what we know and speculate about the upcoming expansion. You can check the description for our socials, leave us a review, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, let us know what you think. Yeah. Or or don't. No, no, do it. Yeah, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. All right. All that's left is for me to thank 
you, Tony, for being here. Thank you for having me. It's so good to be back. It is. It's so much fun. Thank you, our lovely listeners. Mm-hmm. I hope you guys had a good holiday. Yeah. And are bobbing and weaving just like us. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy Chinese New Year soon. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep, coming up pretty quick. So, yeah, we'll see you next time on Guild Wars. And until then, we will see you in Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Bye.